This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thursday is the final official day in the White House for the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama. He's had many high moments in his time running the country with some low moments mixed in as well. So we ask on this final day, what is his legacy? That is something that varies widely, basically depending on which side of the political aisle you ask. We will ask that and more of Wharton Professor Eric Ortz, who's also faculty director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership, author of Business Persons, A Legal Theory of the Firm, now out in paperback, and also co-editor of a forthcoming book called The Moral Responsibility of Firms. And also joining us, Ted Ruger, who is dean of the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Gentlemen, great to see you. Happy New Year. Great to have you. Good to be here. Good to be here. Thank you. What do you see in your mind, Ted, as the president's legacy leaving office today? Well, it's a that's a it's an incredibly complicated question to distill down. But I'll I'll try. I think um, you know what we have. I think that the two most striking elements of his legacy are both attributes that we might question how much the president himself uh, has control over. But we could assert that. President Obama has uh, bears a substantial part of the credit and blame in in two areas that I think define our our country relative to where it were, was eight years ago. The first is the economy, which is I think it's important to remember how what a real economic crisis we were in when he came into office. Mm-hmm. Certainly, it hit law schools and the legal economy incredibly hard in two thousand eight, nine, and ten. We've really recovered from that, both in the legal economy and the broader economy, in ways that are. They're really, uh, across all kind of empirical metrics, uh, pr- quite palpable. So our economy is much better than it right. was eight years ago, and the president deserves at least some substantial share of that credit. I think what's declined and w- what was, has been evident in the campaign and in the past month is the uh, divisive nature of our political discourse yeah. has probably coarsened in the past eight years. Um, and just like kind of macroeconomic growth, we can... It's clearly not the president alone who bears sure. sole responsibility, but yeah. I think, you know, President Obama might have done more, particularly in his first term, to uh, to communicate his policies more broadly. I'm thinking about the one I know best, which is the Affordable Care Act, right. and I think uh, um, there might have been some missed opportunities um, to to build common ground around some um, some precepts um, that are more widely shared. And uh, so I think you know, there's lots of Lots of blame to go around for our overly partisan uh, culture, but uh, perhaps the president might have done better there. So I think you know this kind of economic success, but partisan rancor are the two major themes, and you know, it's a complex situation with both. But he was involved in in both of those developments. Eric, yeah, well, I uh, I would agree with both of those. I guess the things I would add, if you t- start to take a historical perspective, is that I think that uh, especially with the contrast that we it looks like we're going to get that. Um, President Obama has come out of eight years in office with a reputation for decency and and civil um, and really a, you know, the kind of the no drama coolness that I think was uh, a lot of people will miss. Uh, a lot of people are already saying you're, they're missing. Obviously, that's going to be more true of someone like me who's partisan on the side of Obama. But I think also 
Uh, there's going to be a, a sense of loss that you have that. There were no scandals, so that's going to be a legacy that I think that um, I think that is a positive one. In addition to healthcare, I guess I'd add a couple uh, other ones. Uh, one is climate change. Uh, the yep. Paris Agreement, I think, is major. I think it's going to be very difficult, actually, for President Trump to deliver on withdrawing from that, at least not without a huge outpouring of opposition. And it's not clear that's going to matter that much because the structure of the Paris Agreement, I think, has landed, has um, has successfully included all other countries in the world, essentially. Yeah. And so they're going to move forward even if the United States might shift and there's going to be a lot of questions about how. So I think that that's going to be a legacy that's positive. The other one that's related to uh, dealing with the financial crisis, which I agree with Ted, is one of the is one of the unspoken success you know we didn't have a depression and people right. forget that that was partly owing to fairly good management partly beginning with the Bush administration but then being carried forward and you had a uh, you had a Keynesian style infrastructure investment that helped etc yeah uh, but then Dodd-Frank was the biggest financial regulation that we've had uh, and it's uh, debated whether it's been good or bad. There's lots of, I think it, there are lots of aspects of Dodd-Frank that are kind of closing the door, the barn door after the horses have left and you're not going to have a repeat. But yeah. there are other things like the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and some other features of that that I think are going to go down as, uh, as positive. I guess one footnote I'd, I'd leave on the economic side is that even though it's true um, as Ted was indicating, that there is a long record of success and recovery, in, including 75 straight months of job growth, et cetera. Yeah. I think I guess 76 now and lowest yep. unemployment uh, level, as you as you indicated, uh, since 73 and at the top of the the show. It's also true that we still have had overall wage stagnation. And yep. one of the reasons that I think one of the explanations that people are seeing now for why Trump won, especially in large parts of the middle of the country, is that a lot of people, you might have a job, but it's not as good as the job sure. as you used to have. Yep. And that there was an overall decline in the decline. And just one statistic I found recently is that 1972, the Average wage for non-management kind of production level workers was nine dollars and twenty-six cents. This controlling for inflation, of course, and today uh, or last year at least when it was measured, it's nine twenty. So it's yeah. generally it's a stagnation or even a decline for most people. And the other factor there is that Obama hasn't done anything to shift the trend that we see long term of increasing amounts of the wealth of the country going to the top. Uh, uh, owners. Uh, so, so one fact is just that the top one percent. This is from Berkeley economist Emmanuel Sayers. The top one percent in the in the of the country population of the country uh, got twenty two percent of total income in two thousand thirteen, mm -hmm. and the top ten the top one percent of the country still own half of the wealth approximately of the entire country. So those are you're hit. You're starting to hit record highs in terms of the economic inequality in the country. And I think that that is a legacy that Obama may have wanted to do something about. I mean, yeah. I think there's some uh, there's still some successes. Uh, there's less poverty. So and you have more people working then. And so there's a there is some increase or some. But but overall, the the separation between the rich and the poor has been increasing. And that's that's a legacy that I think we'll we'll have to be dealing with going forward. 
We're joined here in studio by uh, Wharton's Eric Ortz, uh, Ted Ruger of the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Maybe something that you uh, consider to be uh, the uh, the key piece to the Obama legacy. You're more than welcome to give us a call, 844-942-7866. One of the things I wanted to bring up is, is obviously leadership. And when you're talking about a president, he is considered to be... Uh, one of the premier leaders in the world. And there are moments that a, a president will be seen as unbelievably presidential because of the leadership that he presents. There are obviously some of the things that, that both of you brought up. There are key pieces to his leadership uh, in, in a lot of these, whether it be on climate change or uh, on jobs and, and helping the, re- the recovery of the country. There, there is obviously one moment which I think Eric and I agreed before you arrived, Ted, that I think is kind of that seminal moment where he showed that he he and he didn't really have a ton to do with it. But he was obviously showing that he was the leader of the country and obviously trying to help the country kind of recover. And here's a clip from that. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al Qaeda and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. Uh, That's, uh, from where our country was in 2001 to where, to that moment, that truly, to me, does speak a lot of volumes about the type of person that he is and the fact that he truly did care absolutely with every fiber of his body about this country and, in this case, trying to help people heal at least to, to a degree. Yeah, I think there's no question that history will look back at President Obama with and you know with with very little question about his commitment to the job to the American people um as Eric alluded to um it's a remarkably w- w- there will be very few doubts about his ethics as you know plague most presidential administrations um but it was a remarkable scandal-free White House uh, the kind of uh, personal ethos that he and the first lady created around their uh, daughters is um, really exemplary. So there's, you know, there's a lot to admire there, whatever one thinks of the policies. And uh, the other thing, you know, when you, I actually, I missed the conversation you had before I walked in, what was the signal moment? I was going to say another where he really, another one clip I thought you might play was some of his speeches in reaction to the the various shootings of South Carolina Church. Yeah, that too, yes. The Sandy Hook, where... This was in his yep. second term where I think unlike yep. the first term, he began to speak, almost returned to his uh, rhetoric from the campaign trail where he really spoke from the heart. Yep. He brought in parts of his personal experience. He he was a better communicator in his second term than I think his his first term in ways that uh, you know might have made a difference for the Affordable Care Act if he'd uh, been as uh, personally invested in communicating uh, the, the moral rationale for health care as he was – kind of the moral imperative of, of um, keeping our kids safe and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I would agree with that. And I, I think actually on the, um, on, the, on the schools issue and the guns, uh, that's one area in which I'm, I'm, I think he would agree that he had failed. Really. He, had, he used a lot of political capital to try to get a compromise through Congress, and it was just not feasible to, to get a, um, to get very much traction on that issue. So I think a, a legacy there 
maybe that goes back to the divisiveness and the rancor that you mentioned at the top where yeah. there was just so much distrust already that even though you had a pretty pretty strong uh, public opinion um, in favor of some tougher gun control after all of these incidents, yeah. you, you, the, the political situation was just too divisive to, to get anywhere on it. And that, the other thing it reminds me in, in some of the speeches, I remember one, one moment to me was when he broke into song on Amazing Grace. And that was just a, a, a moving yeah. moment. Yeah. But we should also not forget, like it's an obvious legacy, but it's it's one that will be sh- certainly in the history books. Is it? We've had eight years of uh, the first African American president, and yeah. just this sheer example. Whatever else happens, or maybe there'll be reverses on voting rights now, yeah. or or whatever. That just the it's hard to measure the impact that that has. Just for massive numbers of of um, Americans who are. Who are not white, and 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 it shows that at the top, you know, someone has has this level of respect, decency, and and I think a very on balance of a very positive legacy, um, is uh, uh, I think that will go down in history in a in a positive way, and, and will will influence history positively. With your background, Ted, surrounding the Affordable Care Act, and obviously that's a, an issue right now that's drawing a lot of attention. Uh, is it a concern of yours that, that to a degree that something is going to be taken away from his legacy if potentially we see the kind of the changes that are that are being talked about by the Republican Party and by by President-elect Trump? Yeah, well, I think it's more than a concern. I'd say it's a pretty confident prediction yeah. that one of the key pieces of his legislative legacy will will be unraveled to a significant extent. We don't know exactly what it'll be replaced with. We don't know that whether the parts that most Americans like will be kept, but you know this is a um, this is this is a this will this will diminish his policy legacy in the healthcare space. There's no question of that. Now, you know, just to, to com- comparison to uh, the way when England went to universal coverage back in the 1950s, yeah, uh, it was on a straight party line vote. Uh, the National Health Service didn't get a single conservative party vote, but but within two years, the conservative party wanted to claim it. As their right, own, right, and that mm-hmm. never happened with the Affordable Care Act. It never, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's interesting um, to talk about a mistake. Apparently, it was people in the White House who coined the term Obamacare. Yeah, that turned out to be a colossal mistake because yep. we all see the polls where yep. Americans approve of the Affordable Care Act, but they don't like Obamacare. And and you know, uh, my colleague uh, at the University of Texas, Bill Sage, an eminent health law scholar, has said. Uh, Early on, he said, "Well, they should have come up with a better name." You know, he suggests uh, he says they should have called it AmeriCare or something. Uh, sure, patriotic, flag waving, and maybe maybe people's attitude would have been different. But, but that uh, that is yeah. something that actually we it was brought up on the show a week or so ago is the fact that whatever may happen, it may be to a degree some change within the law and how it is played out, and it may just be almost a repackaged version. And it may end up being called Trump Care, and and that may be a negative as well. So, I mean, we, as you said, we we're in a spot where we have so many kind of unknowns about this going forward. Oh, I think that's right. And but what's uh, you know what's clear, and I've written about this. You know, Americans are 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 nervous about government control of our health care, yeah. but we're polls show we're equally nervous about corporate insurance company control, and yeah. uh, so the parts of the act that regulate insurance company practices are very popular, even among some Republicans, even among the, the, the nominee for Health and Human Services. Uh, so it's going to be complicated to unravel it because there's a lot in there that 
Americans like across the aisle. One of the things, Eric, that, that has been kind of a common theme that we've talked about on this show quite a bit is the, the what is going on in Washington, D.C. right now just in general and kind of this dysfunction that we see happen uh, on Capitol Hill. And obviously that's part of the relationship and the, and the legacy that, that President Obama will have, especially the last couple of years going against a, a Republican-controlled Congress. Yeah, I think there's a lot of debate about that. I think it's clear that we're going to continue to have divisiveness and and the, the and the uh, President Trump is not going to, I, I think, roll that back. It's, it, it, already it looks like he's kind of sacrificing what could have been a honeymoon by, uh, by, by even being more divisive than, say, Bush or Obama coming in, where the usual tactic is that you try to gesture to the other side and play nice and try to uh, try to garner some support. And that doesn't seem to be happening. Now, there's a debate, I think, going on among public intellectuals and other observers as to whether Obama helped to cause that, right? That, right. that Obama was mismanaged and was not reaching out enough to the Republican side. Uh, I think on the health care issue, there was a, my impression was there was an attempt to actually try to have a bipartisan uh, agreement, but at the end of the day, you just had to ram it through, and they gave it to Rahm Emanuel, and he said, "Just ram this through along party lines," and that was the vote. And so then I think that helped to create a a situation where you had a lot of divisiveness. Um, I'm not so sure. I think that there was some divisiveness. Actually, going back to the race issue, I think there were some uh, counter reaction by some conservative and frankly uh, still racist elements that were not overt but that basically wanted to say, we don't like this guy from the beginning and we're gonna yeah. do everything we can to stop him. Now, I don't know how big of a feature that was. It's probably more important was that he was a big government liberal or seen to be that way and yeah. that his gestures to the center were not believed actually and that that was really the cause. But whatever, I think you're right that that's a legacy one way or another that we're gonna have to deal with and hopefully get back to a place where there's going to be compromise and you're not just constantly fighting because it is dysfunctional. Yeah. That's going to hurt your economy over time. It's going to hurt the political system. It's going to hurt the legitimacy of the constitutional legal system that people feel. So it is a big issue that we will need to try to solve. Well, I, I wanted to play a clip. The, the, uh, President Obama did a very enlightening interview with Steve Croft of, of 60 Minutes, uh, which uh, recently aired. And to that point, uh, Mr. Croft asked the president, can Washington, D.C. be changed? And, and I want you to hear his response, and then we'll react to it afterwards. I think the American people can change Washington, uh, but I, th I think that it is not going to change because uh, somebody from on high uh, directs that change. Members of Congress on both sides of the aisle are motivated by all kinds of issues. They're sincerely interested in the economy and in terrorism and social issues. But the one overriding thing they are interested in is getting reelected. Which, unfortunately, is true. And so, you know, to understand that comment, it kind of gives you a little bit of an insight as to what is going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Well, I think that's right. And, and that dynamic is both the, the reelection dynamic and the partisan divide is exacerbated by the ways uh, redistricting has happened to create more polarized districts. And yep. there's lots of literature. I mean... And I think what 
what what needs to happen by the the government's original design is so I'm for instance disappointed by the partisanship particularly so in the Senate because yeah. you know the framers set up the house to be up for re-election every two years they were always going to be more partisan and they yeah. have been through history the Senate with the six-year election cycle was designed specifically to insulate people from immediate concern from re-election and so you know shame on the Republicans and Democrats in the Senate which used to be the more collaborative uh, chamber yeah. for being just as partisan as their House uh, colleagues. Uh, that's not the way that certainly James Madison envisioned it, and yeah. it's not the way it used to happen earlier um, in past decades. Well, and he actually, the president went on to to talk about another example uh, of really kind of the dysfunction in Washington, D.C. Listen to this. The fact that Mitch McConnell, the leader of the Republicans, um, was able to just stop a nomination almost a year before <laughs> the next election and really not pay a political price for it. That's a sign that the incentives for politicians in this town to be so sharply partisan have gotten so out of hand that um, you know, we're weakening ourselves. And that obviously about the fact that uh, Justice Scalia passed away and, and we still don't have a, a night Supreme Court nominee. And obviously with your background in law, I, I, I can't imagine, and I think we've talked to you about this, what this year has been like, kind of watching nothing happen in terms of the Supreme Court and the ninth justice. Sure. And it, it is unprecedented for that long of a delay. Um, and just to focus on something President Obama said, um, I think I was erroneously – so I – look – the con I'm not one of those who says that uh, there's any remedy for this. The Constitution vests vests this power with the Senate, so the Senate can kind of make its choice. Yeah. But note that the president said there's no political cost. And so these are elected officials who, if the public doesn't like this, if the public doesn't like the fact that a nominee sits there and twists in the wind for a year, the only remedy and the appropriate remedy is to take that out at the ballot box. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, Obama is right that the voters didn't care enough to give any political sanction, and that's going to encourage behavior like this in the future. And to the point, I mean, we, 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 the data shows that, you know, Congress is held by the Democrats over the past 50 years about as often as it is by the Republicans. Yeah. The White House, I think, is exactly even over the past 56 years which party has held it, which, so, which is a way of saying to anyone listening, you know, if you don't like a particular practice— uh, it's no saving grace that your party happens to hold the reins of the branch that's abusing power because that practice is going to be used by people who you disagree with. And yep. so we do need to look at these practices. Eric? Yeah, I think it was surprising that there wasn't more the attempt at the, the administration really push on the uh, on the Supreme Court justice uh, absence, but it also politicized. It was so political because yeah. it was clear that there was a that was the fifth vote for one one side or another, and so by holding it up, I think the Republicans were able to instrumentalize the uh, vacancy to help to a lot. Of, I think Trump got a lot of voters who were voting for the fifth justice. Sure. And uh, and uh, he even put a list out of here's the here's the people on the list. But um, I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the people still I mean, we still have a democracy and yep. the people get to vote and it will be everything from health care to uh, to military, we didn't talk about foreign policy a lot, but that, yeah. that that's uh, a big feature of this. Uh, you know, the the we, um, the 
trans uh, well the various kinds of agreement trade agreements etc people get to vote and they have voted and expressed points of view but I think going forward if you think of uh, if you're going to cut a lot of people off of health care the congressmen before congress people before they vote yeah. are going to think what's the effect if I cut a bunch of people <laughs> if a people are going to be upset they do get they do think about who's um, how that who, who's going to vote for them but and the what the effects are the interesting thing is though we are at a transformative time when you think about the world in general is the fact that we've got brexit you know playing playing mm-hmm. itself out in Europe right now obviously kind of a different kind of uh, mindset and and philosophy as to what uh, a country like China is going to mean to the to the global economy going forward. So, I mean, that's something that obviously President Obama has seen a little bit towards the end, but it, now it's kind of going to be more on the plate of President like Trump once once he heads to office. Well, one of the legacies we don't we don't know. One of my colleagues, I was just in San Francisco to, uh, at a conference, and one of my colleagues has written that this is the, the, the this change now. The legacy will be that uh, the United States is no longer the leading country. It's now going to shift to China. Yeah, I'm not sure I would go that far, but it's certainly a risk, and it's something that I think we we've got to look at what the legacy will be going forward. There's no doubt that China is going to be a major. Uh, a major power and moving forward and there's no doubt that that's going to be a question of how the how the new administration is going to be dealing with that problem yeah uh, in some ways the, uh, I think a legacy of failure was the transnational uh, the trans-pacific partnership agreement yep. that yep. I think I was surprised to see Secretary Kerry still say he thought Congress should approve it <laughs> I mean it's it's pretty clear that that, that that's politically dead, and yeah. it was part of what drove the Trump election. Frankly, is that a lot of a lot of people see that free trade agreements have killed jobs in key states, and that's uh, that drove a um, reaction against the Secretary of State who had uh, Hillary Clinton, who had negotiated that, but then changed. Then kind of tried to flip flop, but right. yeah. um, she negotiated. It's kind of hard to flip away from that. So, um, so that's like that. That was a big piece in how you deal with China, though, in the foreign policy of the United States. Now, I think there's a different kind of model coming forward. That, but it's clear to me, at least, that there's a strategy behind some of what President Trump has already, well, almost President Trump, uh, President-elect Trump, is is doing on China, where you're make, having a call to Taiwan. You're yeah. rattling sabers a little bit. You're yeah. you're making friends with Russia. So there's a there is a I think a strategy behind there, and we'll we'll just have to see what the legacy will be, whether it really is making America great again or whether it's going to well, go in the other direction. What do you think then? I mean, there's the presidential legacy that he has, but he will still be seemingly I think a very important person, maybe in the lines of, of Bill Clinton with what they did with the Clinton Global Initiative uh, moving forward. Do you see that as, as, I mean, will he try and be, do you think, that kind of visible going forward to try and continue to to make change where he can? Well, I think he will. I, I have to say I think he'll be more careful than President Clinton right. was about how exactly. he sets structures things yes. and sets things exactly. up. And, yes. and uh, he, sure, I mean, he's what's he's a two-term president who who left the White House uh, with fairly high approval ratings and free of ethical scandal, who's quite young. He's in his young, you know, yeah. he's not yet 55. I'd like to hear so, you say that because I'm about that age. Right. <laughs> and so he has, a, you know, it is, that is an interesting element. Well, so to the point of this program, uh, you know, his legacy is still in progress. And yeah. one can imagine him doing a lot of different things. One can imagine the First Lady doing a number of different things. And, uh, um, and I think... Uh, yeah, it is very much uh, a work in progress, and so he'll have – he has the luxury, uh, unlike a much older ex-president, to actually take 
control of his legacy and help uh, help shape it even more now that he's out of office. So yeah, that's an, I think that's a really excellent point. Actually, he, uh, Obama took the occasion of his last address to the press corps yesterday uh, to m- indicate that, okay, I'm basically going to take some time, write my memoirs, hang yep. out with my girls, et cetera. Yep. But here is a list of different things that if these kinds of things happen, I'm going to get ready to come back into the fray. And and as Ted pointed out, he's, he's, uh, he's young enough that that will be a potential uh, consequence that I think Trump will have to try to think about, right? You, do, you, you want to keep Obama out. Uh, yeah. you know, I think you, he will want to keep him on the sidelines as much as possible and maybe try to keep a relationship going with them so that they, on issues that they can agree with internationally, they uh, th- maybe there will be end up being more agreement between between the two of them than it appears. Interesting last piece of audio that we'll play uh, from that sixty minutes interview. Uh, he was uh, he was asked the president who he really is as he leaves office. Listen to this. I think my basic character and outlook actually have not changed much, and and people who are closest to me would tell you that the guy who came here is the same guy who's leaving. Um, and, and the reason I take pride for that is one of the things you worry about when you're in the bubble and there's all this pomp and circumstance and hail to the chief is do you lose touch with what you thought was important and what brought you here? And I, I'm proud that I don't think uh, I have lost touch. Great comments by uh, by President Obama. Great to see you both. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Eric. Thanks. All Thank the best. you. Great to have you. Uh, Ted Ruger, Dean of the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Eric Ortz, uh, Wharton professor, joining us. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.